The following content is provided by MIT OpenCourseWare under a Creative Commons license. Additional information about our license and MIT OpenCourseWare in general is available at ocw.mit.edu. So where you are is in the basement we have a lot of uh, space in, we're in the basement of N52 and a lot of the basement is taken up by storage areas and this just happens to be our, our painting and half hole model storage. Uh, room and uh, so <clears throat> um, you know our, our collections are the Hart Nautical collections which uh, which uh, evolved out of the Department of Naval Architecture Marine Engineering which later became Ocean Engineering which then recently folded into Mechanical Engineering but it's still very much a important uh, discipline of mechanical engineering that's taught today and and uh, uh, and then we have an architecture and design collection. We have uh, a science and technology collection. We have a holography collection. Um, so anyway, that's that's sort of the uh, you know where you're at. Uh, the way we've done this in the past is uh, sort of pull out a panel at a time. Um, there is there is no. Uh, 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 you know, logical uh, connection between all of the models on each panel. It has a lot to do with with uh, size, etc. Uh, it so happens that this panel right here uh, has a lot of the models from the Professor George Owen collection. He was a, a professor of naval architecture and uh, marine engineering at MIT from 1914 to 1939. And uh, Professor Owen was one of the first professors in that department who actually came from a yacht design career. He, he was an uh, MIT mechanical engineering grad, class of 1894, just before the program in naval architecture began. It began in 1893, so he, he couldn't matriculate through that uh, in, in that new uh, department. So uh, Owen uh, uh, had a part-time design career uh, and he was working in the shipbuilding industry. So he, he was working at Bethlehem Steel Four River Shipyard, uh, designing ships. Uh, at the same time, he was designing uh, winning universal rule class uh, sailboats. And this is just a small uh, sampling of his, uh, his design uh, output. Uh, we have his entire plan collection. So we have every bit of what he designed. This is just a small. Um, visualization of the shapes that he was involved with. And in a few cases, there are historic models here that are not his designs. This is a, um, this is really quite an unusual half-hole model right here. It's an 1860 uh, half-hole model. Uh, it's a cat boat, which is a, a boat, that's a fairly beamy boat. Um, uh, usually it, its mast was up in its nose here, single mast. Um, um, this is um, this is probably a record of a boat that doesn't exist anywhere else. It's a famous boat. Judith was a famous guy. So you have uh, going back. I wanted to say a couple things about you know sort of the history of these things and and what you're largely looking at. Uh, you know the the concept of using a model goes back to the 1600s and originally. Uh, they were uh, what was referred to as, as uh, hawk's nest models. They, they were essentially a series of frames, uh, so they weren't a solid model. And <clears throat> we don't know exactly, you know, 
the evolution of how they were used as far as the design process. We, the assumptions are they were part of the design process, but that's the very beginning of this type of modeling. And then, um, uh, and you, you get that, uh, you know, in a couple places in Europe, I think in Holland and England, and, and then in the United States in the very late 1700s, at least the oldest known half-hole models uh, uh, in, in the States, solid form, uh, or, or solid half-hole models uh, date back to about 1898, 1897, somewhere in there. There's two known uh, in, the, in the Northeast, I think. And, um, um, 1797. 1797. Yeah, you said 1897. 1797 <laughs> is what I meant to say. 1797. And then, uh, then, then there's this explosion of of half-hole models as a primary design tool that it, through the 1800s. And, and that process continues. You'll see a number of models here that are obviously not yachts, like, like this at the top up here, um, this model over here. Uh, these are merchant-type vessels, uh, fairly, fairly crude, simple, uh, cargo-carrying type uh, forms. And, um, and so, uh, Right up through World War II, modeling model shops were a very vital and important part of a big shipyard. Uh, now that has uh, uh, sort of gone away. Uh, I think in in uh, most major shipyards today, you'd be hard pressed to find a, uh, a model shop. They they are essentially modeling three dimensionally uh, whatever space they need to buy. But they would model not only the hull form, but they would model literally the insides of vessels. The model shop was a highly sophisticated uh, department at a shipyard, and uh, there were a lot of people involved with all sorts of modeling problems. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, I'll, you know, I'll let the instructors uh, uh, talk a bit about this, and, and what we want to do is just look at some different forms and talk about, uh, you know, what their purpose is, I guess. And uh, Yeah, well, you know, it's like <clears throat> this, this wall right here is like uh, we've gone to uh, the back room of a natural history museum and you know, a bunch of stuffed animals that you know s stuffed uh, taxidermy that uh, that somebody put away 50 years ago and we're going to try to you know make some sense out of uh, out of all the, the different varieties um, you know there are all sorts of different ways of making sense out of this wall um, you could do a, a historical kind of chronological uh, uh, categorization of them, or you could do, uh, you know, sociological st study of, of them, you could do geographical distributions, and all of those things apply. Um, but for, for, for the sake of brevity and to kind of start jumping right into uh, some of the, of the more specific hydrodynamic parts of, of, of this project, because we, we spent the morning pretty much more on, on, the, on, on kind of a wider uh, scope, um, I think if we look at them to start with, if we just look at them as, uh, let's try to, to get a sense of categorizing them from, from uh, the slow, slow burdensome versus, uh, versus the, the, the lighter, faster, faster boats. And if, uh, uh, I don't know, you've had a few minutes here, who would make a stab at uh, which is probably the slowest boat on this wall or, or what couple of them would you think? The one that one up there? Uh -huh. <laughs> Well, um, so that's most probably a canal barge, right? So it was meant to fit in a canal that might have been just a few inches wider than that boat. Um, so um, in, in a funny way, 
its speed is also affected by whether the current is flowing behind it or, or in front of it. Because you know, not only is the water have to, you know, in most boats the water has to get around them, but there's infinite amount of space for that to happen. Of course, in a canal, there's just that little bit that the boat isn't taking up. It, it's kind of like it's you know, um, um, you know, those old pneumatic tube things where you know it's just trying to to, to flow through a through a cylinder. Um, but yeah, you know, that's. That's probably that one, and uh, any other guesses as to, or, or ideas about what would be a slow, slow, burdensome boat here? This one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, there's, that one was probably was, push, was uh, towed by mules, and so, you know, mules aren't that fast. Um, this one probably had a big steam engine, and actually might have been quite a bit, a bit faster. But there's another one I have in mind that that uh, that might have been as slow as the as the mule uh, boat. And I'll give you a hint because I'm standing kind of near it. <laughs> uh, any ideas? Uh, that one? Yeah, yeah, this one. Um, this could have been um, this was either a a whaling ship or it was a uh, um, a, a sailing packet, a freighter from you know, mid mid 19th century or so. Um, and now you see if you, it, it has a lot, it shares a lot of characteristics with this steamer, um, which kind of is an outgrowth from it. But this 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 poor boat not only has a very bluff shape, but but uh, it had a not a very big sailing rig, and it uh, um, some of some of these boats over the long voyages they made might have averaged um, slower than a person can walk in a stroll, you know, over over a month's period. You know, I mean. Uh, the the great you know the the uh, well earlier than this but the the East Indiamen you know the Dutch uh, trading ships I mean they averaged about a knot and a half which you know <laughs> like that fast uh, you know around halfway around the world um, and uh, um, you know the fish were swimming faster um, but but you see you know how the curves in this are are very are very blunt so you know they're, they're um, you, you can carry the maximum amount of, of, uh, of, of stuff within that shape, so long as you're not asking it to go very fast. Uh, it does have, have certain um, compromises to, to try to make it um, deal with, with, you know, with storms and, and, and stormy seas and everything. It, it's not a, a totally blocky shape, you know, the way the canal boat is, which just has to kind of be a, kind of a hydrological plug through a canal. Um, and even this is, is you know, as much, you know, this is the age of steam, and they're they're going to you know the hell with the weather. They're going to just push on through uh, more, but you know this thing had to accommodate more, so it, it's 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 more curved. Um, but you know you can see here, you know of course the you know uh, tractor trailer trucks are are a rectangular section, long straight thing because that's the best way to fit a lot of of stuff that people you know take from a house or you know a building that which is rectangular, and put it on a and then you know put it into a, a rectangular transport vehicle and move it somewhere, and that's that's what what a freighter, even a freighter today, a freighters today are even more rectangular than this, and they just sort of have a couple of little ends added to them to kind of uh, pretend to be seaworthy. Okay, so on the other extreme, um, where what are some boats that you might think would be would be relatively very quick, or on the on the faster end, and less burdensome, because you know. Um, Burdensomeness, or you know, ability to carry to carry weight or bulk, um, and speed and power are three things that always have to you know they, 
you know, you can't have all, can't have all three. Uh, um, you know, so long, as, so long as you have to, you know, you throw economics in there, you, you, can, you can have two out of three, but you can't have all three. So things can, you know, tend to either be very, very fast but not very burdensome, or they tend to be very burdensome but not very fast. So uh, any, who wants to, to say something about, uh, Kurt's making some hints here, yeah? This one here, yeah, right, right. And why would you say? You know, the opposite of a very of a very blunt curve is a straight straight line, right? I mean, uh, if um, if if you allow the fluid to flow to flow in a straight line, you're not slowing it down any. So, um, you know, while this may have not have been a planing boat, uh, because this is probably from about the 1890s or or so, uh, and the construction method and the amount of weight of structure versus the, the, you know, and also the, the, the weight of the rig and everything that they were able to do back then, uh, it might have only been able to plane a little bit. Uh, but a shape kind of like that, that done today with today's materials and today's rigs and everything, uh, would, could just skim along the water. You know, might, let's say if that was, uh, if that was 20 feet long, it, it, it might uh, you know, be able to do 20, 20, 25 knots now, you know, um, with, with current materials. Another, another way to think about it, and I'm, you, you all might want to sort of come over and get my perspective too, because when you're looking at these, these models front on, it gives you one perspective of right. their displacement, but how much water, you know, the hull shape displaces yeah, you're gonna is see to that, some right. extent an indication of, you know, it's what it did, you know, what its purpose was, because there's always, there's a purpose behind every single one of these. I mean, uh, there, there are pleasure boats here that are meant to go just fast, and there are pleasure boats that are meant to go fast, but be comfortable and carry a fair amount of, uh, have a fair amount of capacity. So it's, it's, it, it is also about uh, the displacement, and, and, and you, can, you can at least see one aspect of that uh, from this side right here. You can see you know, that this, this boat is really not displacing very much at all. I mean, it's, it's, uh, its stability is, is contributed to by uh, this centerboard here, which uh, is either weighted or most likely weighted in some way, or some kind of ballast that brings brings it down. Your ballast, uh, where your weight is to keep you steady, you know, is uh, largely you know down low someplace, at least for for yachts. Whereas in a big cargo ship, uh, literally the ballast is what you're putting into the ship, and so you know how you load it and all that sort of thing is. Yeah. You see, you see this, you know, that brings up the, the different forms, of, the different types of stability. This with that hard right angle here with just a sharp radius. Now, you, you can kind of intuit that that's, um, that's going to have enormous initial stability because, um, er, you know, you try to angle that a little bit and you're, um, you know, you're pivoting, you're always pivoting about the center of, of flotation of, of, of a craft, right? So that's going to be somewhere, you know, in the middle here and in the middle of, this, of the underwater part. So if you, if you go back through from here to the middle, somewhere in there is, is where that center of rotation is. And you can see how if you try to drop this on the one side and raise it on the other, you're, you're, you're really pushing down, you know, you're adding displacement a lot on one side, and you're taking it away a lot on the other side very quickly and, and abruptly. So that boat's gonna resist that, 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 uh, that, uh, that tilt, that heel. Um, 
Whereas, uh, you know, but with this shape here, you see that there's, that's, that's much, much softer. It's going to resist uh, much more gradually, of course. Uh, and, uh, and then here, you see there, you know, there isn't any ballast added down low. Um, this, is, this is already, as Kurt brought out, you know, the, the cargo is down low and every, you know, there's a lot of weight down low. The engines are down low. And with that hard bilge, it doesn't need that much more. Also, you know, in, in a matter of fact, these, these vessels are not very stable at all. Um, they actually gain a lot of stability from the fact that they're hundreds of feet long. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an element of scale that, that adds you know, a certain amount of you know, holding the thing upright. Whereas, uh, whereas this boat, you know, which doesn't have that same kind of initial, it's called initial stability because it means it resists that first, that first impulse to, to, to heal. Um, this boat has high initial stability, but what, what, what would happen is that once you take it beyond the point where, you know, if you're taking the cross section like this, once you heal it beyond the point where the, the, uh, the center of gravity and the center of buoyancy get out of whack so that the, you know, the, the, they're out of line like this, it'll just go right over. And you know, the thing is, this is just about as stable upside down as it is right side up, so you could be there a while. Whereas, whereas a boat like this, um, it has a, a soft bilge here, so it's not going to have a lot of abrupt initial stability, but it has a third or almost half of the, of the total weight in a um, lead or iron ballast keel down here at the bottom, which is suspended you know, below the rest of the, of the center of buoyancy, which puts the center of gravity way down here. And so, so, so there, you see here the, cup, the arm between center of buoyancy and center of gravity is vertically very, very short. So once you take them, it's pretty easy to, to take them uh, you know, out of equilibrium and very hard to bring them back in. Whereas there, you know, they're very far apart. And as you bring this over like this, you know, that, that, that uh, the resultant force there gets ev ever stronger, you know, it, it, based on the length of that, of that lever arm, right? So, so um, you know, it's going to resist ultimate, you know, capsize very, very, very hard. Uh, it's not going to resist that first little wobble at all, but it's going to resist being knocked all the way over very, very much. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, part of that, that lesson that is yes, right. That's here yeah, is great because th this is the difference, you know, in, in the whole form of form stability, which is that big riding arm, that buoyant arm outboard of the of the of the rotation of buoyancy that that will bear the hull up as it heals over. That's the this is this catboat type. And that, that's very good for shallow water, obviously. But then there's this type, which has none of that. There's no build at all. If you look at the, you know, this from the, from the side, it's very, very slack through here. But there'd be a lot of weight down there. So this boat would heal quite a bit, but then would resist going all the way over because you'd have to lift that whole weight way, way up. But, and, and on, that, on that note, this is, you know, these, th these boats are sort of, a, you know, in an era of conceits. I was talking about how, conceit, how ideas become so in, infused in people's minds they can't break out of them. This, in the 1880s, this was the national type. American, most American um, builders were, were very enthusiastic about this style of boat, where the English were enthusiastic about this style of boat. And both were convinced that the other was wrong, and they wouldn't compromise. And, and they, finally, they did make compromises in hulls that worked more like, more like this one, with both right. form and, and, and bow stability. And that, that's, that's, that's a much more reasonable boat than, than either of these, really. Another thing that we talked about was waterline length. If you look at, like, like this boat, the painted line on this boat is where the waterline would be. That's where the boat would float. So what's the function of these long ends? 
We talked about length and speed in these displacement hulls. The fact is that once this boat tipped over a little bit, once it was heeled over, it would be much longer through the water. So this, this system doesn't make for a great boat, but it beats a rule <laughs> really successfully. If the rule was the boats have to be 20 feet on the water line, then you can make a 40-foot boat <laughs> that's 20 feet on the water line and go like hell in, in the right conditions. And some of these boats you know, are, are kind of variations on that theme, um, you know, varying degrees of extreme, obviously. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to, um, to look back, you know, 20, 40, 100 years back and, and uh, see how arbitrary and silly certain, you know, at the, um, um, well, they're not choices, they're um, a certain controversies may have been, you know, certain, certain basic assumptions that, that, seemed, that seemed trivial or, or obvious, obviously there's, you know, no need to, to, to make, take a stand on one side or the other. But, but that, you know, that happens, uh, that happened a lot in the history of, of boats. Um, and, and then also, you know, the reasons why things led that way. I mean, um, you know, the, this, this cat boat shape did come from the fact that a lot of New England boats, you know, had to deal with, with shallow water. But the, the British type, like this, this, this one here, they, they, they called the, the, the battle of the, the skimming dishes versus the, uh, the, uh, the lead mines. You know the, the these plank on edge boats, yeah. Um, you know, but a lot of what drew them into into that shape had to do with um, with the way the boats were taxed, which was based on a on a uh, tonnage rule, um, which wasn't a rule about tonnage at all, but but measuring a boat by by its beam in relation to the depth of of the of the hull, and uh, so so you get all of these kind of arbitrary <laughs> and kind of accidental reasons that then in, you know steamroll and turn into these enormous controversies, you know, billions get spent on it and, you know, and uh, reputations, uh, you know, uh, crash down because, you know, of, of falling on the wrong side of that controversy. And then, you know, a while later, people realize, well, no, I mean, both sides were right and both sides were wrong and we're much more, it's much better to, to kind of try to blend all these together. Um, you know, th this, this boat here, you can tell, is very much on the American side. This is this is probably a yacht, but it, but it's very similar to the um, to the the pilot boats, which were again another type of boat that had to go quite fast. That, uh, but again, you can see in, in compared to uh, well, you know, to the, to that that one obviously English boat down down there. Um, you know, th this is much more of a skimming dish. Although this was probably about eight, you know eighty feet or even hundred feet long, whereas that cat boat might have been been twenty or thirty feet long. Um, and then, you know, we we've got these these freighters for power boats, but we also we have we have this this guy here, which oops, I'm sorry, which is uh, a great example. That's that's an early um, power launch, either probably in, either in the development of the of the torpedo destroyer or or, or as a yacht uh, tender or whatever. But that you know with the it, what or it sure sure, um, but I'm, I'm thinking you know like 1910 or so. Um, you know, when, you know, it's, it's amazing now, you know, in the days of, of um, where everything is so specialized, when you think of um, the Harrisoft Manufacturing Company, you know, in Bristol, Rhode Island, uh, you know, that could very well, or boats very, very similar to that were, were, were designed by Nathaniel Harrisoff. Um, when, you know, in 1900 or so, uh, the Harrisoffs and then the, the uh, Yarrow in, in Britain, we're kind of independently coming up with the idea of a, f of a fast power, 
power-driven driven boat. And uh, they, they did everything from designing the hull to, to designing and manufacturing the, the steam engine that went into it. Um, and this was all done by you know, basically a handful of people and, and, and uh, you know, a few dozen, dozen employees. Um, but that was, the, that was the, best, the best work, you know, in the whole world, you know, was being done by, the, by these small groups, groups of people. Most, you know, um, most of them didn't even have degrees from, from, from anywhere at the time. But, you know, they, they were able to, um, to, to handle the whole, the whole thing, you know, absolutely the whole, the whole project and, and bring a, a major technology, um, you know, forward significantly. All, all within, you know, within one one house. You know, you think of Leonardo da Vinci or something, but you don't think that just, you know, barely a hundred years ago, people were, were still doing that same kind of, you know, complete effort of, of something, which, which I think is is significant. And then it was done by people who were basically boat designers. Um, w we we should probably move along pretty yep. fast. But one of the things that that uh, to, to think about when you're, you know, now you're going to go from this room and you're going to start drawing your own lines. Um, you know, one, you're going to be cutting, as I, I said again, that, that deck line, and they're going to be cutting that profile into a, you know, from a rectangular block of wood, all right? And what you're going to wind up with is something that looks not too <laughs> unlike that to begin with, okay? You've got profile, right? You've got some shape or this in, in profile, and, and you have a deck line, okay? So just so, just as you're thinking about this, you're looking at these different shapes and how you interpret them and how you, you know, how you think. Think of your ideas. I haven't seen any boats that would suit. I mean, the only boat that comes close to suiting anyone's design criteria would be this one. I would say, uh, off top, this is the most like what you were talking about in my mind. Not that it's literally it at all, but um, but as you're look, looking at these different types, you know, take a look. You need to come over and look at the deck line and look at the profile and start to think about. Okay, it's going to look like that, but I can blend that shape. I can blend this shape into something very different. Look at look at the profile of this boat here. You know, and it's not. Is not very nuanced, really, but the whole form is is oh, clearly yeah. elaborate. It's a wonderful it's shape, really elaborate. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, I think this boat might be down here. It might be useful to think of that way too. Yeah, that's um, a tremendous powerboat. Uh, the bottom one. The bottom one, yeah. Or 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 this one. So you, you, know, you look at you look at the deck line. You know, you look at at this this whole whaling boat that Tony was talking about. Is that very full deck line? You know, that's so you could actually stand up there without drowning in a head sea. <laughs> you know, they, they built that thing. The planks are bent at right angles almost. It's so bluffed out. Constitution is shaped like that. Yeah. Um, as opposed to some of these other boats that are very, very fine um, at the deck. And, you know, there's a boat that's very full at the deck line, but that hull, that hull could be very fine down, down at the bottom of the hull. You know, it could be yeah, we down, down here. here. You could have this thing shaped, you know, like... Yeah. Um, where is that little powerboat? This one. There. It could be shaped like that, right? You have that very yeah. full deck line flaring way out, but a very fine entry. <coughs> the, you know, I mean, th th there's a um, there's a, a couple of things too. Is there's a, there's an aesthetic about you know the profile shape or the blending of the profile and what what Ruben's referring to as the deck line, or it's called the shear line. No, I'm, I'm actually, I'm talking about the other plane. Okay, actually. well this okay. shear, this, this line right here is one of the most important lines in terms of the aesthetic. If you're, if, if, if that is one of your purposes, uh, 
it's what level of curvature is right for that particular form. And, and you'll get a bunch of naval architects sitting around arguing, beating each other over the head about you know, the, the, <clears throat> the right amount of curvature for that particular hull form. And uh, so those are, those are big aesthetic elements. The thing about these boats right here, these, these raised deck, this was a feature that, that uh, George Owen apparently sort of popularized. I mean, that's a kind of a new idea time that these were designed. Most, most boats, <coughs> most yachts, as you see, have a sort of a continuous shear line to them. That, that brings up uh, a point about scale um, that we'll, we can run, we'll run into over and over again. Um, you, you, these, these models are all of different scales so that actually some of these right. boats, even though the model is smaller, the, the, the boat is actually many, many, many times larger than the one next to it. Um, and, but the thing is that um, while you, th you may think that you can just take a shape and, uh, and put a different scale on it and say, okay, well, now I've made a 20-footer out of a 60-footer, but the thing is that the people that are going to fit in it don't change scale. And so, for instance, um, whereas this, this hull, if you take it from the shear line, which is this, you know, this change in color here, um, down, um, if, if that's in a, let's say this is a 100-footer here, you know, there's plenty of room to stand up under that deck, right? But if the, this is probably uh, you know, a 30-footer, and there's barely room to stand up in the middle of this, and, but to have enough height to actually sit down against the side, if you didn't have this, 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 raised, this raised deck, um, you, know, you wouldn't have any place to put your, to put your head. So you know, scale, um, not only for, a lot, for, for, um, for hydrodynamic reasons, because you know, the different scales of interaction with the fluid, but also the fact that that, that uh, depending on the scale of the boat, you're, you still have to fit people in it one way or another. There isn't just a, con you know, a continuum of, of uh, expanding and contracting uh, a, a particular type of boat without taking into account how are people going to fit in it. Some of these boats, too, there's all these different shears, you know, the, sort of the amount of curvature, you know, these sort of dedicated racing designs, there's no shear. They may be really wet to sail, um, you know, but there's no wind, there's no force of wind on the field. So then this powerboat, I can't tell from this angle, yeah. but a lot of these powerboats had actually hogged a reverse shear. So you could see over the deck as the bow was coming up on a plane. You know, a lot of those boats were sort of sitting at an odd angle sometimes when planning and you had to be able to see. So there are different functions for that, yeah. that shear. Yeah. Should we look at some different Yeah, let's look at some of the ones. Yeah. And, the, and then you can, most of these different uh, stylistic elements may or may not have had particular um, um, practical reasons for their inception, but, but often they take a life of their own and end up uh, just being, being styles. Uh, it's like you know, when cars had fins. I mean, there was, no, they weren't, there was no reason for them to have fins, but, but they did just because, because it was a stylistic thing. Some of these models here are showing chimes. You know, this oh, kind yeah. of a hard line yeah. right along here. Um, I, I'm kind of, I think I'm going to suggest that you not try to uh, mimic that. It actually is much more difficult to do than it looks. It's harder to do that well than you might think. But that's, when I was talking about a chine boat, this is what I meant, a very hard edge. There's a dory here that's got a chine as well. Um, but that's, yeah. it can be so very hard to ex execute that shape. Easier to build, harder yeah. to take. Down here on the bottom. Oh, yeah. In fact, that is a torpedo. That's a torpedo. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, you see how, how um, you know, the, the easiest uh, strategy to, to, to get high speed out of, a, 
out of a boat with limited power, you know, with, uh, was to make it really, really long. Like a rowing shell. Yeah, like yeah. a rowing shell. Yeah. Um, Remember the surface. Those boats are so narrow that the torque on the prop shaft would actually lean the hull over. When they're going at speed, they're leaning at about 10, 15 degrees. <laughs> I mean, they could, the engines could probably torque them right over if they tried to exceed that. This, 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 is, a, this is either a freighter or, a, um, or you know, one of those half freighter, half passenger ships from probably just post-World post War II, which in my eyes about the most elegant development of the of the sh modern ship. Um, since then, I think they've really kind of gone into a decadence. But uh, but that that that's just a gorgeous, gorgeously shaped hull. You can see how how compared to the completely utilitarian slab-sided freighter that we saw on the other wall, how this has the same elements, but how they're 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 blended together. Remember what I was saying this morning about um, the um, whole molding, where you're just dealing with one curve, and you kind of end up with uh, with a uh, um, uh, homogeneous design just because you're basically only using one curve. Well, you know, here this shows how, how you know, the amount of, of art and care that has to go into to making something that, that's, that's, that's really elegant when you're using so many complex shapes. You really have to th think out all the balance of it. Let's uh, just try to run through the rest of the shape as quickly as possible. Yes. Can I get on this side? Oh, you got another one? Okay. Oh. Over here, and then we'll go on the other side. Well, if you have you get a sense of the variety of form that exists, this is Finally, a rowing boat. Yeah. <laughs> right here. This is an old lifeboat, Mass Humane Society boat. But here's, I mean, this is the anti-shell. I mean, this is a boat designed to go to rescue people. And, you know, the, the vessels would run aground often few hundred yards out to uh, offshore, and these guys just have to row. It would take them three hours to row that few hundred yards, get a few people in 30 seconds to get home in the seas. But there's, but that's a rowing boat. You know, the shear tells you something. You know, the, the ends are high to, to shed water, but the, the sides are low to get good position on the oars. And that's one function of that shear. But anyway, this, you know, there are many points in between this and an a eight-oar shell, obviously. Cat boat. Racing cat boats like that cat boat we showed you earlier. These are actually champion champion hull forms for that particular. They're yeah, and they're rule beaters. What they are. <laughs> there you go. That's a plating model, by the way. The, the way that the drawings are on there are to, are to help. Another function of a half model is to build from, and that you can come up with a pretty accurate schedule for the plating for the steel. So, you know, they were riveted yeah, together these, back in those days. These lines show the actual pieces of metal that they made. That. You imagine it's pretty hard to, to make compound curves out of sheets of metal, but they did. There's the radically hogged shear. <laughs> I'm not sure why that shape. I don't know what that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the submarine or what? That was a submarine. Yeah. 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 Submarine. It, here's quite an elegant uh, freighter. What this one right in front of you? Here again. It's a plating <laughs> model. So what they would have done is taken some sort of you know, card or thin metal or whatever and actually bent it in place and cut it to to those shapes and then say, okay, well now down in the shop, you guys you know scale this up, cut it out, and um, when you put it together, it'll fit. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and no, here's a non-pointy bow, and here's yeah. a, kind of a, a very different deck line, obviously with pram, transom bow, and so on. That's allowable. And then America's Cup winner, uh, Volunteer late 1800s, 1870, 1885 or six, I can't remember. Yeah. One of the greatest American yacht designers. And that was a compromise cutter, wasn't it? That right. was the, yeah. the mix yeah. between a form and a... And the, uh, well, the, the cat boat and the, and the big, the deep diving yeah. boat. And then if you, you can go from these to uh, to the type like this that we see quite a few of, or you know, the, or this, um, which you know, which is natural development from from these boats, from this boat. So that you know, that's a whole kind of uh, evolutionary uh, line there. Uh, you know, they came from the sired by those two, you know, through this and, and resulted in in, in those. Some of these models are actually, um, that's another important thing is this model collection is, these are largely um, uh, student models, uh, MIT course 13 student models. Sometimes uh, you've got shipyard models. Uh, in some cases, very, very small number of cases, you have um, uh, actual builders models and we'll show you a, a, an example we have a, a few rare examples of uh, some of these models are intended as presentation pieces they are not they were not necessarily a design tool they came after design on the board I didn't realize that that old well 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 ship model was a uh, was disassemblable that was keyed together I never knew that until today uh, this is a uh, this is a monitor. This is a model from uh, again. It's a presentation type of model that would have hung in a in a uh, uh, shipyard office. Uh, uh, this is uh, one of the uh, monitors. There was a firm in Boston called Atlantic Works who made actually the monitors uh, for these uh, the turrets. The excuse me, the here. turrets yes. for the uh, yeah. for the monitor. Um, so that's the low shear. So there's, there's nothing to hit. Yeah. For the animator. Merchant, uh, 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 merchant ship uh, it shows you the different ways that you can you can present a model. In some cases, this is about as elaborate as it gets for a half hull model. And some people in their modeling uh, choose to to uh, go to that high level of finish to uh, give a fuller representation of the vessel. There's a lot of complexity topside. Uh, sometimes there's a there's an aesthetic choice because that's the purpose of the model. The purpose of the model is to recreate this, uh, in, this, this uh, uh, creation by a company and to uh, represent it as fully as possible. <clears throat> Whereas, you know, this is just representing essentially the form. And that's it. That's all we can see on this. Few more uh, plating. Most of those are probably student models back in there. Yeah. If, if people, if you can peek in at these these three here, they're quite interesting. Um, these two appear to be tugs, and this was probably a a, a steam yacht. Or the uh, the one right uh, uh, below your chin there is the first diesel electric tug in, in uh, New York. City. Oh yeah, yeah. So you see now. Um, 
a, a tugboat is the opposite of a, of a rowing shell in that it has enormous amounts of power, um, you know, surplus power, because it's meant to also not only be able to push itself through the water, but to, to either pull or push, you know, a, a great big uh, um, uh, freighter or tanker around also. So, so its shape um, is, is developed uh, to take advantage of the fact that it has this enormous amount of power um, and to be able to, to actually go faster than, than, uh, than other boats of, uh, of the same length while still being displacement hulls. Are there factors about its hull shape that, um, how, do you, how do you explain the hull shape's purpose in, in terms of that excess power that right, it has? Right, I mean, right. so that it won't squat down when yeah, it's yeah, on that, a that, heavy pull? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, we, we, we talk, well, we can talk more about this when we get upstairs, but we talked about how, um, you know, the wavelength and, uh, and wave uh, amplitude affect uh, affect speed, um, but um, but the tugboat is, is a really you know the, um, putting the tugboat and then and then a destroyer like this you know are are are, are two kind of similar and different ways of dealing with a surplus amount of power. But we'll, we'll get into that more up. Yeah, the other upstairs. thing this is maneuverability. A tugboat has to be very maneuverable. Right. whereas a destroyer needs to be able to go you fast. Can <laughs> you can to see the sight down. Sight down. There's a six-masted schooner here, and you see this dramatic yeah. shear compared to the shear on these others. So it's I, unfortunately you Check can't really fully you know see these unless you're sort of sighting down. That's or that's one important sight. Um, uh, you know, you've got your frontal sight, and you've got you know sort of how's the vessel looking this direction, and how's the vessel looking in this direction. But you really have to. Yeah. It's a three-dimensional shape that you have to look at from a number of different perspectives in order to really fully appreciate how the whole thing is coming together. Yeah, and over the next few days, that's a lot of, you know, not only will you be shaping uh, this kind of three-dimensional shape, but you'll be, be learn, you know, teaching your eye to see these shapes. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to think of it as a profile, um, but, but, you know, you're going to delve into, you know, how to, how to, how to look at and how to create the, you know, the, these more complex shapes, as well as a little bit about what they, what they might mean, their implications. Well, this last panel is my favorite panel. <laughs> <laughs> this is the North River Packet. objects here that uh, I'd like to point out to you. Um, this model right here is, is absolutely an authentic builder's model and one of the telltales is you can see that there are wedges, there are three wedges right here that hold the lips, these individual pieces together and it's a different method of making a model than you're, you're going to be going through. But um, this, uh, the instructors will get into what you can do with a model, different ways that a model can translate or give you, allow you to go further than that, and I'll let them get into that. But this model is designed to be taken apart. And um, uh, this model was 
built in 1838 by um, uh, a professionally trained Danish designer, Louis Wind. And um, he was designing at the very beginning of racing, sailing, uh, 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 sailing boat racing. The very rich were starting to do pleasure boating in the Boston area. And this is really the beginning of American yachting, the very earliest stages of American yachting. And this boat is very much like a Boston or a pilot boat, a boat that would go out and find the vessels coming in from a voyage and show them the safe way into port. And uh, which we still, of course, it still is in operation in every port in the world today. You still have pilot boats, they're power boats that race out and, and the pilot gets out aboard the vessel and brings the vessel in. This boat was designed as a pleasure boat and was um, so successful against the commercial pilot boats that the commercial pilots started to change their design to mimic this. And that is a point where in history, New York pilot boats and Boston pilot boats were essentially identical in form. They, you, you really couldn't tell the difference. And this pleasure boat caused the design evolution in commercial vessels, which is really the opposite of what it typically is. Usually working vessels have contributed to pleasure boat forms. And so this is a really odd example of uh, a purpose right. affecting um, yeah. a, a uh, design, uh, design uh, in, in the commercial world. Yeah. And uh, this, you, you'll have to come over here and take a look at this yourself. This is, uh, this is also a builder's model and it's, a, it's about 1820s or 1830s. So it puts it, you know, within 30 years of this form actually being a, becoming a standard uh, design tool. And this, this is a southern Massachusetts boat. It's essentially, uh, it's a sailing barge. Uh, it's, it's, it was built literally, uh, I don't know, 25 miles from where your, uh, your shop is. 10 miles. <laughs> yeah, it's 10 miles from where Ruben's shop is yeah, in, in the south shore there. today. Uh, brick Kiln Yard. Um, so, and then... Uh, yeah, and some of that, some of that whole farm uh, that, that in front of Kurt, guys, that of that of that North River boat uh, that he was just pointing to that that hull form is has characters of hull molded boats right. that were typical of that era. So yeah. I mean that's sort of an example of using technology to begin to expand the design parameters. But it happens; it's evolutionary, not yeah. revolutionary. Yeah. Still, yeah, the the white and green model just above Kurt's head there, uh, with the green underside there, um, it might not look it, but that's actually probably a steam a paddle steamer. Um, you know, you always think about the the, the what ha, you know what they look like above above the actual hull you know they've got the the sponsons on the side with the big paddle wheels and they've got the yeah. big big houses on top but actually that's the part of that's that's the business end of a of a steamer uh, and then it would have the great big false decks and stuff added on top yeah it's almost invisible under the boat when you yeah. see it in but you can actually flat. see that they were quite long and skinny for uh, you know for 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 what they were which opposite of the impression they give when they're all, they're all built. Another, another thing that we can point out in terms of uh, commercial vessels uh, and speed, this, this is a, actually a steam yacht here, but the lines of this particular uh, vessel um, are similar to what was going on in the clipper period. 
we were looking at more bluff type bows. This is a more like an East Indiaman type of bow. It's intended for full cargo. Speed is really not a consideration. Safety and as much cargo as possible. Uh, this vessel right here is designed for speed. And you can readily see the compromise in cargo carrying capacity between. But in the clipper period, what was happening is the ends were getting finer and finer and the cargo capacity was being compromised for speed. Well, there was a premium on speed. Speed meant you made more money. So that had a tremendous effect because it was so extreme in terms of profitability for a short period of time. It totally changed um, the shipbuilding business. Uh, vessels were also getting larger at the same time, but that, uh, that has to do with also uh, the economic incentives of the time. Cargo rates were extremely high for a short period of time, and then they dropped. So there's a cyclical factor that goes on in, in all boat design, whether it's pleasure boat design, commercial boat design, naval boat design. It's what do I need now? What's the best solution now? And that's always, it, it's, it's always an arbitration of problems. And, that, and that's an, on that same point, Kirk, the, like this very bluff-bowed boat here, um, you know, as full and guppy-looking as it is, that hull design is actually quite efficient for the speed that that boat traveled, that right. kind of rig it had. It actually worked, w if you consider every aspect of the boat, rig and, and how the boats were, were sailed, that hull was actually quite efficient for that shape. Yeah, this is a, this is a good compromise, come, come you're forward. saying, then, right? For its yeah, time. For yeah. its time, yeah. 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 Compromise. And that nice full deck let, meant the guys who were working anchors and stuff, you know, on the deck, you know, they could, you know, that was a wet spot. <laughs> so all that, that big buoyant bow and that yeah. big bluff end could help you, could help you work unless you use the whole boat. Some of these boats are too fine in the ends to be useful in the ends at all. No buoyancy there. See, these, yeah. these, were, these were go fast boats in an earlier time. You know, we're looking at these yacht shapes here. But this was the go-fast yacht shape then. This is, this is a, uh, essentially a model of the America, the first winner of the America's Cup. And it's essentially a fishing, uh, excuse me, it's a pilot boat. It's a, the, the money that they made was who got to the, who got to the gig first. That was the competitive business. So it, like in fishing, who got to the best fishing grounds, who got back first, got premium prices. Same thing with the clipper ship period. You know, the, there were premium prices for first back with the T. And, and so those incentives, the, the compromise between speed and, and uh, uh, um, um, good sailing, good carrying capacity is, is always an important consideration. I think that's it for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, guys, well, well Kurt's closing up. I wanted to show you this drawing on a oh, wall yeah. over here. Um, Unfortunately, it's all obscured. It's, it's, yeah. it's obscured a bit, but you can see what it is. I, I talked before about lofting, which yeah, I keep on coming out. It's behind all this metal. You know, this, th this was done by a, uh, a sister workshop uh, four or five years ago to ours. But if you look at it and think, you can see that it's a full-size lines plan of a tech dinghy. You can see... Um, excuse me, in the, in the middle here, th these are the body sections right here. They're, usually they're, they're, they're like a half model, right? There's, so they're only showing one half of the boat. To the right of this, this line here being a center line, that's a bow half. 
over here is the stern half. And then you can kind of see the, the water lines as if you're looking at the boat from the bottom. There's a transom expanded. But this is your building, building plan, right? You've, you've carved a half model, you've created the line plan, and now you've expanded that line plan full size for this 10, 12 foot boat. And this is what you can actually pattern from to build the boat right here. I don't want to dwell on this, but. Um, well, here's, if you, look, if you look right here, you can see the bow sweeping up to the top right corner there. So that's sort of the profile view. But then if you see right here, this, this bottom line, this bottom line is a datum line for that, for that profile, but now it's a center line for half the boat. So you can see the bow lines radiating aft back here. <laughs> and now over here, this line is a center line to define the boat you know, in sectional slices. <laughs> They're all superimposed. Um, but basically, th this is the process. This is what I was another, what I was talking about being another interpretive stage. Really, when you're when you're lofting the boat, the the plans are usually drawn to an accuracy of an eighth of an inch. But you can't build to an eighth of an inch. You have to build to very fine tolerances, obviously. So this method allows you to perfect the form for for building, and you can literally pattern, you know, the all the bevels for the planking lands on the backbone. You can pick up from here. There's a, there's a cross-sectional drawing right there, in fact, um, of, a, of a planking bevel on the stem. But you, and you can use these shapes to, you have to reduce them for planking thickness, but you can use these shapes to make the molds to define the shape all along. But this is part of the step, you know, and th in this method that we're talking about, you know, carving a half model, making the lines plan, and, and lofting, and then building from the loft, this is, this is the last step of that process, really, is the lofting. And if you had a 60-foot boat, <laughs> you 60-foot drawing. Yeah, you don't, I mean, you, you know, there's, there's not just one single process. One, one can go from the model directly to the yeah, lofting. That's true. Traditionally, that's, that's the way it was done. I mean, it was a very efficient process, uh, actually, because you have, a, you have a design sketch. The model becomes a design sketch. And then when you scale up to full size, you're doing all sorts of correction mm -hmm. Uh, and, and slight modifications to those lines when they're at full scale. And that's where you dial in. And then there's, of course, another interpretation from taking the patterns off of that lofting and translating them to the yard, where you're actually fashioning frames and, and fashioning all the, the key timbers that go into the structure, and then assembling them. And so you, you end up with you know, various stages of minor modification. There's a Modification from the model to the lofting, from the lofting then to the finished product. You never get a chance to say the model's done until the boat's finished, right. then the model's done <laughs> in this method, essentially. Yeah. And you see, now, now, now with you know, digital uh, design, um, virtual models, you know, the, one of the big revolutions is that now we have accuracy to burn. You know, the, the, the virtual model is accurate to a ten thousandth of an inch, or, or what, you know, whatever decimal, ridiculous number of decimal places you, you want it to go to, um, but actually, in, in actuality, when constructing it, whether you're welding it or build, building it out of wood or or creating a, a, a mold for, for for glass or whatever, I mean, you're still you're, you're returning back. You know, you're not working to tolerances of ten thousandths of an inch. Mm -hmm. um, so so the model, which on a screen may only appear this big, is is absolutely more accurate than you're ever going to need. But before that, um, every building technique always had to kind of um, find ways to preserve and add 
to accuracy and to you know to precision because because uh, you know there was you know there wasn't that key you know that that digital information allows you to be to be absolutely precise and at the same time be fluid where before you know you could be fluid but you weren't absolutely precise so you had to you did the fluid part of it and then you tried to gain precision until you got to the point where you were you were happy with it. I know a lot of you have never even looked at a lines drawing before. Um, so yeah, just grab, you know, grab a, everybody grab a book and, and just start looking at, at stuff. Um, and uh, because basically when, we're, when we're making a model, <coughs> we're, we're uh, you know, especially using the, you know, this is called the lift method where there's, you know, these, these, these flat layers are glued together like this. Now, um, depending on the shape of the boat, and here, if you look at this middle one here, this one that's not varnished, actually, there are two strategies being used in that same model. Um, you see, the lower part of that model is built where the center line is, fl is flat along one of the sides of the, of, of the model, right? And the, 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 the boat is carved across it this way, right? But then the top side of the boat is done the other way, where, where, you know, where the, 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 the center line is along here, and then the boat's carved that way. Well, depending on the shape of the boat, you might want to either carve it this way or carve it this way. And uh, the, the, basically, the, the key is uh, if the boat is going to be more beamy, you know, wider than it is deep, then it, it makes sense to do it this way this way because then the, the cut glue lines, which then end up looking like the uh, what are called buttock lines in the, in the lines plans, um, will, will be most uh, uh, diagnostic of the shape. Whereas if the boat is, is, um, is deeper than it is wide, then, then the, having it the other way so that the center line is, is, is perpendicular to the, to the layers. Um, ends up with what, what are called water lines, which, which can be more diagnostic. Um, and then there are other shapes where it really doesn't matter which, which way you do it. Um, so, so that's going to be kind of a first decision for a, lot of, for a lot of these boats as well. Which way do we want to turn, turn the block um, once we figured out scale? So anyway, so we're starting here with, with Dwight's boat uh, that's going to be about, let's say, let's say it's 18 feet. Um, Interject. Yeah. I'm sorry. You'll find on these blocks that, that many of them will have the imperfections will be focused on one side. Uh, so that should be what you cut away. Obviously, I mean, if I, I think it's hard to say. This one's pretty good, but um, if you, if yeah. you may find you have a bunch of knots, then have this be your center line, obviously, and cut around that. This would make a good 18, 19 foot, foot hull. So, um, so why don't we choose 18? Uh, choose choose one, one foot to the uh, one one inch to the foot, and uh, and we'll make this thing 18. Let's say 18 feet long. So, this is 
all the woodworking you're going to get out of me today. Um, but so if I come up here to 19. You know that's going to be the extent extent of the of the model. Um, and let's let's do this one as a waterline model, okay? Because it's probably going to be fairly fairly conventional in, in shape, you know, kind of somewhere between this and this. And, and the horizontal lines are would be very quite useful. So um, you know the 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 narrower the boat is in proportion, the the, the less burdensome it's going to be, the, the more uh, the the lighter it will be and probably the faster it will be. Um, on a, if it's going to be a rowing boat, no matter whether or not it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a more substantial rowing boat like this or a racing skull, basically we're dealing with the geometry of, of, you know, of the width needed to, 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 uh, to operate the oars, right? And in this kind of boat, from, from experience, you're going to find that, that uh, somewhere around, around a you know, four-foot beam, four-and-a-half-foot beam, um, you know, three and a half to four and a half foot beam is about about right to be able to to have you know decent uh, um, you know rowing geometry for a for a a, um, um, a solid seat as opposed to a to a to a, a sliding seat. So that you know means that roughly we're going to be wanting to come out. Uh, um, well, you know, let's say let's say to start with, we'll you know two. Two and a half. That's five feet. So we're going to be inside of that. So already, you've already carved away half, half of your block. So that's not so bad. Um, and so, so, so you know, Michelangelo here is your your statue is in here, right? Now, so so we, you know, this is what everyone's going to have to do. First off, is get a, is get a an overall length that comfortably fits within the model. Uh, then we'll figure out the the maximum beam, and of course this is even bigger than what we're going to end up with, but similar kind of idea. And then then now the next thing is going to be in this case, and in most cases, it's going to be the depth of the hull. So um, in in this case here, now we're going to bring these are called the perpendiculars. You know the the very extreme ends of the boat. We'll bring those perpendiculars down on this side. Now, they're, you know, depending on if you see some of these shapes, see like this boat here, it's flat along the, the, the bottom end, and the flat is, per, is parallel to the, to the boatiness of it, right? Whereas, whereas this hull kind of has a, has a, has a flat bottom, but but you see, that's not in parallel to the way the boat sits, right? It, it actually sits this, this way. Um, now, there, there were a lot of builder's models, including you know, a, a, lots of the older ones you'll find in there, that were actually drawn uh, that way because that's the way they, they would be set up in the shop to make them easier to build. But um, you'll find that pretty much when, when designers instead of builders got a hold of it, they always wanted to have the lines go the way the boat is going to go so that then, then there was easier to, to kind of visualize how the boat was going to operate as opposed to making it just easy to, to, to see how to build it. So that means that uh, 
instead of using the bottom of the model as the base, we're, probably, we're gonna pick one of these lines and say that's the load water line. That's the line that we expect the boat to float at when, when, it's, when it's done, right? Now, you know, that in actuality is gonna be a combination of the weight of the structure of the boat. Uh, in this case, there won't be any ballast added. Uh, the weight of the, the ideal crew of the boat uh, with a give and take depending on, on you know, there's a certain, uh, it's, it's called um, uh, pounds per inch immersion. You know, a particular boat shape uh, at a particular scale uh, is going to take so much weight to either, you know, sink it down uh, an inch or, 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 or have it be an inch too high. And, um, you know, some shapes are going to give you a, a lot more flexibility about that than, than others. Um, you know, aren't going to change shape very much as they, as they, as they go deeper or go higher. Um, and others, others more so. This, this again is kind of a middle of the road kind of, kind of design. Um, and as, as we go along, we're gonna try to, to, to take away all the boat that we don't need, you know, need to support all that weight. But, but um, and now if this is gonna, see this is, for a rowing boat, this is pretty, sh pretty short already, eight, 18 feet, probably gonna be able to row two, two or three people uh, max, you know, three absolute maximum that would be able to power this boat. But the thing is, it could probably go out there in some pretty rough, rough water. If you look at, remember that lifeboat that uh, that Ruben pointed out, um, and there were a couple of other uh, those those types of rough water boats. There, they tend to have a lot of shear um, because, you know, w when waves get big and nasty, it's nice to have some boat out there in front of you to, to block it, and, and also to give you buoyancy to, to rise up over, over the waves. Um, and, uh, and then again, you, in the middle, you'd need the boat to be low enough so that you can get the oars in the water and everything. Um, now, those, those double-enders like that lifeboat were kind of symmetrical from the bow and the stern were almost, were very similar because, you know, they're both pointed-ended um, and had similar shears because they'd be rowing off, often rowing off of a beach with, into surf, go out there, save people, and then they had to come back into the beach uh, you know, with the surf behind them. And either way, they might want to either you know, be rowing out forward or rowing out backwards, depending, you know, or rowing in backwards or whatever, and they needed to be able to part the seas as well from the, from the stern as from the bow. Um, but, um, but for instance, other, you know, other um, rough water boats, um, might you know might have a transom stern, um, and but and might actually have what's called uh, drag to the keel. You see the difference, you know. Again, you know this this keel here is 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 perpend is parallel to the waterline, and you know and this one is angled down. Now this angle from the from the parallel from the horizontal is called the amount of drag. You know some of those models we saw had a tremendous amount of of drag. You know like so. Now, you know, one of the things that does is that it lets you, uh, kind of gives you a directional, uh, a directional stability. It kind of puts the tail feathers in the, in the back, you know, behind the center of, of uh, momentum and gravity and all that, so that uh, the things tended to go straight like an arrow, you know, with the flitch on the back. Um, is the more, direct, the more of an angle, the more able to direct it? Well, depending, you know, there's another way of getting it, getting that would be to make the whole thing longer, you know, because uh, again, you know, simple um, levers, right? Uh, you could either 
you know, so this boat is kind of short. If, if it was important to, to be able to row this boat in rough water and row it with the waves and, and keep it going, going straight, one of the things you might want to do is have a certain amount of drag to it to help keep it, keep it lined up. So keeps the rudder in the water too. So, yeah. Right here, that, you know, th this, that glue line is a water line, so the rudder is water. <laughs> in the bow, the forefoot of forward can be a little less submerged. Did you? Uh... Did the fall I'm sorry? Did the rudder fall off? It did. It was out in the rain. <laughs> so, and that glue failed. It was not marine glue. <laughs> but yeah, there's a little shadow of a rudder there. All right, so, so just for, for, for starting point, let's, and, uh, let's say that, the, let's pick this one as the load water line. Obviously, if you already you know, had a boat in mind, <coughs> you would do some of this stuff on a, on a sheet of paper before you made the model and you'd optimize the, the block to fit this, but this is kind of a one size fits all. So we're kind of compromising as we go in this direction. But uh, so let's say this is going to be the bow over here, <coughs> and that's the extreme stern. So, okay, so, so basically now we've got a parameter of how long it is, how wide it is, how the maximum depth of the boat underwater, and the amount of top sides. It's called, you know, the, the, we've already made that series of, of decisions about this. So now the next thing is going to be a sense of well, what kind of a stern is it going to have is going to really have to come next. So um, if, if it was going to be a, a transom stern, now with a, for a rowing boat, again, the longer the water line for the size of the boat, the faster it's going to be. So having a lot of rake, rake meaning the angle you know, that the, 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 the stern makes to the, to the perpendicular, you know, this way. Um, <coughs> if you add a lot of rake, you're actually you start cutting, you know, and if you have the bow very, very uh, raked also, you end up with a very short, short water line compared to the length of the boat. And so, so there's a lot of pressure to keep that as long as possible. So for instance, we might want that stern to be just plumb, vertical. There are other ways of then dealing with, with, with how that's going to go. Um, so for, for stars, now to give us some ideas about the, the you know, the next, the next thing that we're going to want to start to play with is, is going to be the, <coughs> the, the profile of the boat. Because we've got the heights here and, you know, and the length. So, so let's start with a, a fairly um, plumb stem because, again, to, to maximize, we don't want to lose a lot of waterline length here. Um, and then you know, we'll kind of come down like so a little bit. We're going to go um, a, a dead plumb stern. That tends to kind of look a little bit awkward. So we might want to just have a couple of degrees of angle here. And then here, let's, you know, to start, let's just sort of see what kind of a maximum amount of rake. Now, you see a, a good long straight keel on a boat like this makes, makes it a lot easier to deal with on a beach or whatever, you know, because if, if, it, had a, uh, if it had a protuberance down in the middle of it, you know, that would dig into the sand. You wouldn't be able to drag it up the beach or whatever. So, so, um, so you know, he, here we've got this, the start of a shape. and. And then, then it's going to be a question now of dealing with the shear. Now, the shear is a combination of the profile curve and the plan curve. And they're going to both interact. And that's <coughs> going to be the first, the first uh, three-dimensional 
you know, shape that we're going to start to define, because so far all of these shapes have been two-dimensional, right? So, so to do that, we're going to kind of going to draw two different two-dimensional views, and then we're going to reconcile them some together. So, you know, with the, so the rowing boat, since the, the people rowing are going to want to be right in the middle here, pretty much, <coughs> we, we want to keep a fairly constant beam through that area so that everybody can row with the same, you know, maximum length oars. Um, so, so um, and, you know, w this is a, a carving is a subtractive process. So we'll start oversized and we can always make it narrow, but we can, can not easily make it wider again. So uh, we already know this beam is wider than we want, but let's, let's just play with that for starts. So you see, if we come out something like that and then come in just a little bit here, and now you, s you see that gives us a shape that you know, gives us some sense of entrance here, but, but at the deck line, it's still fairly full, so combined with, with some arc this way is going to give us some protection from the, from the seas, um, but it gives us a big, long, straight area there. And then, now here, so if this is the height of the water, um, for, for rowing, again, there's a kind of an optimal height above the water you know, for, the, for the oars to be. I mean, we don't want it to be more than um, you know, 18, 20 inches high above the, above the, above the water here. So um, this is three quarters. Yeah, it's more like eight more inches. Like eight. More like eight inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so you see, you know, the, these are three quarter inch thick. So so that you know, nine inches is is one block is one block here. So for starts, let's you know, let's go like 11 inches, uh, 11 or 12 inches. But just you know, this is just to start giving. And of course, the the highest point of this boat is going to be at the at the at the stem at the bow. And then less so at the stern. And so you know, this is just the roughest guide right now, and this is just to, to get us starting to, to think about, about this boat. Now, actually, the next step on this particular boat is for someone to, to uh, chop this end off nice and square here so that we can start playing around with thinking about what the, what, what the, the midsection would be. So why don't we pass this on to get someone started on this, and then... Uh, sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's fine. Okay. Work out a um, well, it, it, is this is this is this your model, Dwight, yes. more or less, or is that what you're thinking? Or it's close enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the whole point of this right now is that that um, these aren't the, the these aren't the the lines that you're going to end up with. This is just to to, car, to rough out a block and to start thinking about honing it down. The whole process of 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 the carving of it is 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 a way of of slowing you know, because. We're not taking a set of, of a drawing, you know, the way that model was made or that model was made, and replicating it exactly. We're we're conceptualizing and we're starting we're we're starting to, to, to hone down a design. So we start with a sketch. It happens to be a sketch on a block of wood, um, and it, and it, it doesn't have to be any any more accurate than than this, so long as we stay outside the lines and then be be uh, more and more. 
finicky about how we develop it from, from there. But it, but it starts with, with, with a sketch like, you know, like, like this. And um, what, what I'd like to do, if it makes sense, is to um, kind of quickly go through with the, you know, with the, uh, the another couple of these yeah. for the people who have the clearest idea at this point and at least get some of these models started and then, and then uh, you know, and then flesh it out f from there. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I think, and, and let's, let's do as much of that process together, together as we can. Together as possible, I, yeah. I think that, because, I mean, we're going to break out and balkanize into people working their own little models for the next two days. So I think that, yeah. but it's still an opportunity to, to be in at the yeah. beginning of the process yeah. for other designs. Okay, so, so maybe we can actually do a couple more to this stage before getting into making noise. Well, I can, I can saw or that you off. Saw and, that and off? And if okay. you don't mind, wait, no. I'll just saw off and end and, yeah. and, um, yeah. and, and work on All it. All right, next victim.